Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I welcome Andrew Pippos to chat about his debut novel, Luckies. A former journalist, Andrew has a doctorate in creative writing and tutors at the University of Technology, Sydney. This richly layered sweeping saga documents the rise and fall of a family restaurant business over six decades. Welcome, Andrew. That's very impressive, all of that. Um, thank you for having me on the Words and Nerds podcast. So I, I wonder who are, the, who are the nerds? Are the authors the nerds or are the listeners the nerds? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, when I was uh, thinking of, you know, what to call it, I thought, Words and nerds would, you know, people would remember that because it rhymes and I like a good rhyme. And look, I'm always up for being a nerd, but we were having a conversation the other day, but do you think nerds have become cool or is that just what nerds think? I think nerds have become cool. Thank goodness. And I'm, I, I, I'm trying to be more nerdy. <laughs> That's why I'm here on this podcast. That's why I said <laughs> yes straight away. Oh, my goodness. You're a cool person trying to be more of a nerd. Never heard such a thing. Yes, but in the end, I'll be cool, uh, cooler. <laughs> I love that, Andrew. I, love I don't that. know. I don't know anything about being cool. <laughs> well, to start us off with this wonderful novel, can you give us an elevator pitch as to what Lucky's is about? Mm, okay. Well, the main plot line of the novel follows a man nicknamed Lucky from his late teens to his seventies. And in his 70s, Lucky has one last thing to do before he dies. The novel takes us through his whole life, but it's also about the people whose lives he helps to shape and who, shall, who shape him too. Uh, it's about the pursuit of love and family and friendship. It's about the rise and fall of a restaurant franchise. 
We see the characters in this novel respond to failure and grief and tragedy. And there are many threads of narrative, but they all converge and they all converge on the site of the Lucky's restaurant franchise. Mm, that was a great elevator pitch. And I particularly think elevator pitches are so hard, particularly with a book like yours that has so many threads that goes from past to present. So I think you nailed yeah. that. Oh, good, thanks. Good job. No, not really. It's impossible <laughs> to do. And I've left so much out. So I don't <laughs> that, know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that will that, hopefully leave people who haven't read it wanting to read it, right? That's that's correct. <laughs> now, I love it when a book gets me with its quotes. You know, I'm one of those huge nerds that if I read a line that really resonates with me, I'm like, oh, I have to go and write that down. I'll take a picture of it. And, you know, so now I get to talk about it with you. And one of my favourite lines in the book was very early on, and it's you say, he still had time to make changes to how it ended. And I just loved this. It's really simple, but I think it's something we all need to remember that our, our lives or our identities aren't always stuck in one spot. And we can, you know, we can control how, how our story ends. How does this line set the tone of the book? Well, I think a lot of, he's lucky he's not the only character who is facing this question, you know, is, is this it? And uh, Emily has the same problem. And Ian as well. And it's really a way of saying, like, can I do any more? What else can I be? Um, what more can life give me? And it's, um, it's a question that I've was sort of, I think the first time I really confronted it, I was in my late 20s, I was thinking, is it too late for me to do this degree or that degree? And in my 30s, I asked myself the same question. And I think there's a point where a lot of people ask that, that question of themselves. And uh, it's, um, it was interesting to me as well to think of how that question played itself out in other books. Like Don Quixote is really the main one, which is why the book the epigraph is is about Quixote because he's not finished with life either. And uh, it was an interesting, it was just an interesting uh, question. Mm, it is. And it's that kind of existential thinking, isn't it? That your time, you're, you're on this kind of timer, you know, hoping you live a ripe old age, but you want to try and fit all these things into it. But, you know, you can't fit everything in and you can't live multiple lives. So it's that kind of thinking, isn't it? I really like yeah. it. It really made me stop and think. Yes. And this, the idea of life's limits is carried throughout the book. You know, you, you have several imposters and frauds and people taking on other identities, pretending to have abilities that they don't quite possess. Um, yeah. Mm. That's it. I mean, the whole what what links the book, I think, or one of the one of the unifying elements of the book is that many of the characters are responding to failure and and success as well in in very different ways, and some are doing well and some are not. Mm. There was another line that I really loved in the book too, and I think everyone can relate to this. He told himself, we all have missing people, our dead parents or the spouse who left too soon or the lover who betrayed us, the person we couldn't become, the life we should have led, the lover or destroyer coming to your door. These are powerful words. How do these losses impact your characters and the action that follow? Um, 
he is examining his lucky is examining his life and and Emily is as well and he's thinking about the people who have left and the people who are who the, the spaces that he needs to fill like he's he's trying to become the person that he originally wanted to be and uh, that is a, a person with a family actually <clears throat> his involvement with Sophia and her her son is 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 really about completing something and it's really about the life that he didn't lead and uh, whether he finds that life is is the, the reader finds out I suppose um, mm. but I was thinking a lot about when I was writing the book of course the themes were the themes that obsessed me in my in my personal life and missing people was a really big was a really big theme for me at the time. Um, you know, I had lost, when I started writing the book, I had lost, a, recently lost a, a, one of my best friends from high school. My father had died. Um, um, I discovered a, a brother that I didn't know that I didn't know about. Wow. A half brother. So all these things were, were obsessing me. So I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to write about them. Mm. I wanted to write about how different characters confronted these 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 problems of you know missing people of these ghosts in their lives and this question of is this it you know. Mm. They were very it, powerful and I think you know when you're talking about how they came from such a real place for me I felt that in the book when I read it you know and I think that's why they resonated as well because that last line that I just read it's a powerful line mm. you know it really is about about loss about filling in those gaps and about you know all the lives that you aren't living or you've left behind or you've chosen another path I mean that affects us all doesn't it very powerfully yeah I mean there's there comes a point where you realize it's too late to do this it's too late to be that person it's too late to I don't know have that job or do that degree or have a child or fall in love with this person or that person. Mm. And those, those are big moments. Yeah. And, and, um, and how you deal with them is very interesting and revealing of character. So. Mm, absolutely. And I like to think that there are certainly things where you can't do that anymore, but I'm hoping for other things, you know, it's, it's not too late. You know, I really hope that wherever you are in your life, sometimes it's not too late to go and do that degree or do something, you know? Yeah. I think the saddest, saddest thing is giving up before, before you, um, you should. Mm, absolutely. Uh, the, the, you know, there are, there are, it's never too, it, it's often not too late to do certain things like write a book, like fall in love, like have a, you know, deep and like a meaningful relationship with a, with a small child. It might be a niece or a nephew mm -hmm. or a friend's child or these things. There's all sorts of ways that you can, you can, you can accomplish the, the, the things that you most want. And I think it's, I think quitting is a lot sadder than realizing, oh, you know, I'm 50 or I'm 60 or I'm 43 or whatever. And it's too late to do this or that. We set, we set very harsh limits on ourselves and, and life is, you know, 
hopefully were a lot longer than than I think some people realize than I realized in my 20s anyway Mm, beautifully said beautifully said now let's get into a bit of writing here I love that I could talk about this all night but we should probably also talk about your craft (laughs) as a writer was it a challenge to balance the past and the present because I found that the present informs the past but the past obviously informs the present and there were these multiple threads throughout the book so I thought as a writer and in your writing process was this a challenge to balance or did it come kind of easily to you it didn't it didn't come easily um the the uh so the structure of the book is like you said it moves around in time and the plot is is in a sense scattered we move between different timelines from chapter to chapter um in the first draft of the book it was all chronological and um but what i found was that emphasized the wrong characters and the wrong themes and what I wanted to do in order to tell the story that I way in a way that I felt was just a lot more interesting and energetic was to move around and to create a sense of variation between the chapters. But really what connects these things is mainly causation and, you know, the decision that Lucky makes in the Benny Goodman chapters affects him for the rest of his life which is not to say that everything is completely rigged by, um, you know, a tragic flaw or a mistake that a character makes. You know, life is not always this um, Aristotelian, internally motivated series of events. Like external causation is a real thing. And there are, you know, tragedies and disasters that happen in our lives. Um, and that, that, that happens in this book as well. The, the, so there's a mix of internal causation and external causation. And I just had to follow the consequences and arrange the book in a way that it all made sense. Um, and it took a little while for me to do that. Mm. There, was in the, there was in the end, you know, there's a lot of rewriting and sort of trying to link or suggest gesture towards the chapter that's coming up or and then at the end really what I was doing was just just moving the order of chapters around that was the final step in the process so that was that was what I was that was what I was trying to do Mm. and really the question that 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 I was asking myself throughout the whole process was how do I want the reader to to see how the events are connected where do I want them to where do I want them to realize the um the cause and effect Mm. and was that structural edit where you were shifting around all the chapters did that create more problems for you uh no i felt it created fewer problems okay (laughs) (laughs) as i as i kept shuffling things around um it felt better and it felt it felt less messy as i went along that's interesting Uh, isn't it that it's less messy not being chronological i love that yeah um the 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 chronological the chronological draft of the stories was was of draft of the novel was very achilles heavy and he's not the most important character but if you're reading if you were to go back and read that chronological draft and no one ever will um they would 
they would sort of think that the novel was about Achilles, but it's, of course it's not. And um, so that didn't work. But yeah, I mean, the novels reveal themselves and uh, it's a process. What was difficult, I think, was keeping this, the whole narrative in my head while I was working on it, because it's such a big story in terms of narrative time and characters and events. That was, that was a real challenge. But uh, you get around that challenge with, and you deal with that challenge by, you know, drawing diagrams and pictures that, that make you, that fool you into thinking that you've got, all, you've got it, you know, you've got it in your head. So that's, that's what I did. But there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, psychodrama and, and games, mind games involved in writing that you, that you sort of, that you play to make it a little easier for yourself. <laughs> Superstitions are the other thing. I love that. So you've got your diagrams, you are, your post-it note guy as well, got all the post-it notes out, different colours for different characters. <laughs> no, not for different characters. I just like, <laughs> I just like one, one colour. Um, yeah, I like orange post-it notes, but, you know, I like pink as well. Pink is good. <laughs> I don't, I don't have pink clothes, but um, I tend to just wear black and blue, but I, I do really like pink post-it notes. I should, maybe I should buy a pink shirt or something. I think so. It might, might inspire you to do some planning or something yeah. in the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I should buy an orange, orange shirt and then just move into pink. <laughs> okay. Buy both. Why not both? I like orange too. <laughs> I actually think those colours look great on everyone. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I say I that like and pink. I always wear black, so. <laughs> I like pink. I saw someone with pink hair the other day and I just thought, you know, pink hair really suits a lot of people. Mm, mm. I uh, wish I could do it, but I don't have I the guts to do it. Yeah, I don't think I could go pink. <laughs> the, the, beard, the beard is a bit dark. Oh, yeah, what would you do with the beard? Do you do well, the beard I could thing as well? I could, I could lose the beard and then get, get pink hair. Right. Um, if you get pink hair, let me know, and I'll go get pink hair too. Just okay. for some, just for because I need an excuse to do it, right? Okay, um, pink pink hair challenge. <laughs> pink hair challenge. I'll regret this now. You'll you'll send me a message. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. But we both got very dark hair. I don't know how you do this. What is it? Bleach and then? Yeah, I think you got to bleach it first. So it'll be a process. <laughs> okay. okay. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll give it some thought. No, I'm scared now. <laughs> Why do I do these things? <laughs> <laughs> then we can have a, a photo with our matching backgrounds again. Yes. <laughs> now, the novel explores some really serious issues, the issues of gambling addiction, suicide, childhood trauma. Why were these important for you to explore in this novel? They were interesting to me because they're problems I, I, see, I see in the world all around me. You know, the book is... The book is is reasonably violent as well. And um, violence, of course, is an enormous problem. And, and it, it concerns me that people are so violent. Mm. And, but I mean, it's true that there's a dark side to the book. I mean, there's, uh, there is, I hope, a, a lightness and a sense of hope in the book too. But I wanted to look at um, gambling, for example, because it was something that was in my family and I'd observed, observed it from a young age, even though I'm not, a, I'm not a gambler. It was something that really interested me. 
and in and I did as a child associate it with you know Greek Australian culture. Of course, it's of course every it's a much bigger thing than that, but it it was a world that really fascinated me. And what fascinated me about gambling, I think, was that it was a way of for people to try to well at least for some of the problem gamblers I knew, I felt that it was a way for them to make up for the things that had gone wrong in their lives. It was a way for them to, you know, succeed, to redo things, to change their their fate in some way. And that was interesting dramatically to me. The other challenge was that I think that a lot of people, when they see gamblers, and I've been guilty of this too, was... That some, that some people are really unsympathetic when it comes to problem gamblers. And I really wanted to work through that, those emotions myself if, to see if I could, to see if I could, you know, I guess forgive people. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. that was the gambling side of things. So is this book cathartic for you in a way? Because you're exploring a lot of things in your head. I mean, I, I suppose a lot of writers do this and then exploring sort of real experiences you've had. So did you find it a cathartic experience or was it more challenging than that? It wasn't, I don't think it was cathartic uh, quite. Um, really, the, what the experience was for me emotionally was to take create a work of to create a work of art that I felt that that pleased me in the end to do something and to see it all the way through that was that was really what the emotional journey was for me it wasn't about it wasn't really therapeutic in that any other way but that's a big thing you know if you really want to write a novel and it's something that you've been thinking about for a long time and then you do it that's that that does that is this kind of life-changing achievement, regardless of whether it gets published or whether it's, you know, whether, you know, you hear from readers or... But it's true that many of the themes were things that that um, that concerned me very closely. But I find that, you know, how I... Most of the way that I've processed those things or dealt with them is really a kind of parallel to the novel. And it's like, like if you can imagine like me maturing and dealing with issues like, like am I a failure? Am I a success? Do those categories even mean anything? Mm. That's quite a different, that's diff- very different from the story of the novel. Mm. So even though, even though the novel is, is in a sense, very thematically personal. It's not quite a working through of my emotions. Mm, that's very interesting. Now, I just wanted to bring up The Wheel of Fortune. I grew up with The Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> you must have grown up watching it too. Yes, I did. <laughs> I love having those kind of 80s, 90s references because I love that sort of 
you know, time of my life when you were young and had no problems and you didn't have all those boring adult things to deal with. So mm. I'm always very, you know, nostalgic for the 80s and I'm sure I've romanticised them. I'm sure it wasn't as good as I remember them to be. But the Wheel of Fortune, I mean, was that included because of the gambling, because of the luck, because you wanted a bit more nostalgia in, you know, the stories from the past? Why did you include the Wheel of Fortune? I loved it, by the way. It brought back a lot of memories sitting in front of the well, all of those things were really part of the part of the reason why it ended up in the book. Um, it I felt that Lucky would have been a Wheel of Fortune fan. He would have liked <laughs> game shows. It just fitted with his with his um, personality. And I mean, I loved game shows as a kid. Yeah. Um, particularly Wheel of Fortune. Uh, Sale of the Century was a big one. Blankety uh, blanks. Do you remember blankety blanks? Yeah, I do. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't in my top. That wasn't in my, my top. You know which one I hated? Price is right. Like I oh, was I was a right. teenager. How did I know how much a dishwasher was? Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> I uh, never never got into that. Yeah, I didn't get into that. That was a bit too much like going shopping. Yeah, and boring <laughs> shopping too, like a fridge. Who cares? I'm 15 yeah. or however old I was. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um but, uh, and I, I mean, yeah, look, Wheel of Fortune. I really wanted to have Adriana in there, but then I thought <laughs> her story is so sad. But yeah. she, she was such a, I know I hate the word icon, but. That was in was my a, head too. She was. She was an iconic figure. She was an iconic figure. And yeah. you're one of the few Greek Australians on on um, on, on oh, network television too okay. at the time. So I thought Adriana would be great, but then I just, no, she didn't quite fit with what I wanted to do with the, the host. Mm. I've got a last question for you, Andrew, which I ask all my guests. Why do you write? Mm. <laughs> There's so many ways to answer that question, but I write because I love literature and I want to contribute to that tradition. Um, you know, novels and short stories and narrative nonfiction and poetry is, has given me so much. Going back to mythology, when I was obsessed with mythology as a child, storytelling has just given me so much in my life. It's always been a source of great joy and, and I've confronted so much about the world in the pages of books that I just love the art form and I was converted to the art form by the art itself. Mm -hmm. um, I love playing with words. I'm a daydreamer, you know. I, I'm often, you know, thinking about one thing while I'm meant to be doing another thing. <laughs> it's just, it, it just comes naturally. It's very annoying for the people in my life, but <laughs> I'm, I'm often not, and I mean, this, the whole, this, it's complex because, of, as you know, you've read, read the book, this problem of, you know, not being present is a very big issue for Lucky in his marriage. And that's, of course, something that I've thought about a lot over the years because, <laughs> you know, I've been with friends or partners and not been, not been, I've been just off in my own little world thinking about, characters or stories or what if this happened or what if that happened it's just the sensibility that I have as well as just a very 
deliberate, conscious love and devotion for literature. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, it's funny, I just, after the, after the book was published in November, I was, you know, I, my life was kind of became all, became all about the, the luckies and I didn't really get any writing done. I didn't really think about my writing that much. But um, in the last couple of weeks, I've just been thinking of, you know, stories and essays that I want to write. And I've started, you know, three different, three different projects, even though I do have a book to deliver to pick it up <laughs> <laughs> later this year. I hope my publisher is not listening. But <laughs> you just, you just, your brain just produces stories. And, mm. um, and it, it, it's, it's very, it's so, it's so thrilling when you, you know, start a story or start a new essay or when you have a good night of writing, I tend to write at night. Um, there's so much, there's so much joy in it. And, and writing is, it can be difficult because, you know, you don't get everything right the first time and you, and often when something goes wrong, it feels like it's not just I was bad at my job. It's also like the problem is a function of my my personality. You know, <laughs> if my characters are not interesting, it's because I'm not pathetic enough. Or, um, you can you can sort of you can get your butt kicked big time <laughs> when you're writing, but there's also a lot of fun and joy to be had, and um, and that's been my experience. So. That's why I, all those reasons are why I, I write. I'm sure there are more. But. Well, that was such a brilliant answer. I loved that. And I can definitely, and the people around me can attest that I can definitely relate to the, um, you know, head in the clouds, stuck in my own head kind of thing. So it's nice to meet a kindred spirit yes. who ignores everybody else as well because you're <laughs> stuck in your head. Daydreamers. Just daydreamers. <laughs> and I'll often come out, you know, to my family with half a sentence. They'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, like <laughs> in my head <laughs> I had a fully formed sort of paragraph but you only just got the end of it. <laughs> yes, there have been many times when someone's told me something and I've just said, okay. <laughs> Okay. Like, I'll have oh, to circle back on that. And uh, what did I agree to? Said, I, was, I was thinking about what might happen. If, yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you for paying attention for this, um, this little snippet of time you've spent with me because you thought really deeply about these questions. I think you gave me some brilliant answers, honestly. This chat, I feel like we've covered so much in the half an hour and we just went real deep, real quick. And I love that so much. So, thank you. Thank you for your time. I loved the book, Luckies. It was heartfelt. So many of the words resonated with me. And I love how the book was also read and shared aloud as part of the New South Wales Reads for the New South Wales Public Library. So that's awesome too. Yeah, that was nice. Hmm, that was very cool. I've had a look at the um, the online live readings. That was very cool. But thank you so much for your time, Andrew. And I look forward to uh, catching the next book and all the thoughts in your head. And hopefully we can catch up with that again. Thanks, Danny.